Well, I do hope if you have checked your email this morning that you've already received our devotion for the uh, Discover Hope Journal today. Um, and if you have received it, I want to encourage you uh, to go ahead and click through the subscribe button uh, so that each day from now through the Tuesday after Easter, uh, we'll be providing you with a very short devotional uh, to help prepare you for the Easter celebration and then prepare us to share the story of Easter. Now, if you're a person who doesn't uh, do your email every day or that's not a part of your world, uh, we do have a few printed copies of the devotional and they are available at the information table or at the uh, information racks uh, out next to the exits from the building in the connecting place. They look like this so that you'll know what you're, what you're looking for when you go there. I hope you'll take time to do that. Also, I want to encourage you um, that two weeks from today is a very special uh, Sunday for us. It's called Impact Sunday. And it's a Sunday that we take every year to kind of assess where God has brought us from and where he's taking us to. And if you're new around here, I want to encourage you uh, to come and be a part of that day. Uh, if you're looking for your place to serve, your place to, to uh, find where you fit in the body of Christ here at Eastside, uh, I encourage you to be here, be a part of that day. I also want to let you know that uh, for us as a congregation, our financial year runs from April 1 to March 31st. So March is the last uh, month of our financial year. And so if you want to be a part of what God is doing through this place financially, I know that there are some folks every year who are like, hey, you know what? Uh, my business, my, my portfolio, uh, it lends itself to uh, giving during the month of March. Kind of like for some folks, it lends itself to December. So I just want to let you know, particularly if you are joining us and you want to be a part of what we're doing, Eastside Church is completely funded by the people who worship with us online and on campus, and we are grateful. And if you want to know more about uh, the giving, you can actually call our church office, or um, if you're online with us today, you can actually connect with Pastor Preston in the chat room, and he'll be glad to give you more information about that. Now... Today is our third week in this series called Discover the Hope. It's our way of prepping our hearts for Easter by looking at the stories of people who encountered Jesus. And last week, we were looking at the story of a man named Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler and whose 12-year-old daughter was, was dying. He had tried everything to find healing for her but she was dying. And so he had to then, because of her death being so imminent, he was desperate. And he laid aside all of his biases as a synagogue leader, all of his biases as a leader in his village. And he came to this Jesus, this Jesus who was not trained in the synagogue school, this Jesus who was, who was a carpenter by trade, but who was doing amazing things in people's lives. And as we saw last week, he came to Jesus, fell at his feet, and said, I have this daughter. Would you please come to my house? I hear that you can make blind people see and lame people walk, and, and so I'm, I'm asking you, would you please come? And... Jesus responds. 
And as Jesus responds, there's another part to the story. As Luke tells the story, it's like an interlude between the scenes because as Jesus and Jairus are headed toward Jairus' home, a crowd begins to gather. They've heard about what's going on. They know where he's headed. The, the rumors are flying fast and furious among them and about, about this Jesus and about Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. And, and so they're, they're going to go see. I mean, no, who, is, who, who wouldn't miss an opportunity to see a miracle? And so they're with them. But in the process, some of you know the story. I, I told you about it last week. One of the potential distractions as Jesus is on his way to respond to Jairus, is that in that crowd of people, there was this woman. This woman who, who for 12 years had been suffering from a hemorrhage. For 12 years, Luke and Mark and Matthew, all of them tell us the story that she had, throughout her illness, she had tried everything that was possible humanly. She'd, she'd spent all of her money, all of her resources on, on finding the right way to be free from this brokenness, to be free from this, this hemorrhage, this illness. And as people were going with Jesus and Jairus to Jairus' house, she saw an opportunity. Because she too had come to see this Jesus, just like Jairus. She had also overcome boundaries she had heard about what he had done on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in the land of the Gerasenes. She had heard about the people who were blind who could see. She, she had heard about all the powerful things, and she thought to herself, if I, could, if, I could just, if I could just touch Jesus' hand or his garment, if I could just be with him, then, then, then in some way, if I could just be in his presence, I could, I, I could be healed. Maybe, maybe I could be whole again. And some of you know the story. As they're walking along, she reaches out and she touches what some translators would call the hem of Jesus' garment, the fringe of the garment. And her hemorrhage stops. Now, I want to I stop the story right there for just a moment. Because I, I, I want to ask you a question. How, how high is your pain tolerance? I mean, how, how, how long are you willing to be broken before you ask for help? I mean, when my boys were young, my oldest son was out riding his bicycle one day. And you have to know my oldest son. He's a fiercely independent individual, always has been. He actually thought that he could ride his bike automatically without the training wheels from the very first time we got it. He was five. And so when he wrecked it a few times, I'm like, son, do you really want to you know, ride the bike? We need to start with the training wheels. He was not happy, but he let me put them on. And then he was seven years old and it was time to take the training wheels off. And, and so I did. And he's like, I don't need any help. I can, I've got it myself. I can do it myself. Have you ever had kids like that? I can do it myself. And so he wrecked the bike multiple times. 
And then I, I, I finally convinced him to let me run alongside of him. I was much younger then. And I would run alongside and, and, and hold the seat with the back of my hand just to keep him going, keep him balanced. And, and then every so often I'd take the hand off and he'd wobble a little bit. And, and then finally he, he'd get it going straight and I'd run and catch up. And, and, and then finally there was that day, the day he had dreamed of, the day when he really could do it by himself. He was so proud. And then, and then there was the day when he's out riding his bike through our little neighborhood in Daytona Beach, Florida. And he was so excited because he was doing it all by himself. He didn't need mom. He didn't need dad. He's got it all going. And then, and then the front door opened. I'm sitting on the couch. He walked in. He didn't say a word. He just walked in, sat down on the love seat, kind of crossed his arm like this. And I looked over at him. I said, son, how you doing? He said, fine. I said, I thought you were riding your bike. Yeah. Why'd you come in? Don't want to ride anymore. I said, really? Anything wrong? Nope. Not wrong. <laughs> I looked over him and I said, son, your knuckles look a little, uh, a little raw there. Did you have an accident? Uh, now, he never would lie to me. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I, I, I had an accident. I said, really? Are you okay? I'm fine. I'm fine. I said, can, can I have a look at your arm? Nope. Son, I, I need to look at your arm. He moved this arm, and the front half of this arm dropped. And his arm went like that. And I said, uh, I think you broke it. Nope, it's fine. I said, well, you may think you're fine, but we're going to the hospital right now. Now, you need to know, he never shed a tear. He never cried. He didn't even have eyes that looked like he had cried when he wrecked the bike, and no one of, none of us was there to see it. All he said was, I'm fine. And I have to tell you, I, I think there are an awful lot of people 36 months after the beginning of a pandemic who are walking around trying to say to everybody, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not broken. Nothing's broken. I'm good. I'm fine. But you're broken. Things have changed. I mean, things have changed dramatically. If you're a school teacher, you can see it every day. If you're a mental health worker, if you're a social worker, you're a counselor, you're a therapist, you still see it. The, 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 the global pandemic didn't just take people's lives because of the COVID illness. It dramatically changed the social, social, socialization patterns of a culture. And, and, and if you don't believe me, just, just watch it a little bit. A few weeks ago, I was down at the hospital visiting someone, and I had my mask on like you're supposed to in a hospital. They won't let you in without one. I always think it's important that the hospitals here, they, they actually have a man in a uniform who'll make you take that, that, that mask, right? And so I get the mask and I'm going into the hospital and the elevator door opens. I get on, we go to the next floor, it stops. Someone I do not know 
steps on that elevator. Now, before the pandemic, I'm a pastor. I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a friendly guy. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Having a nice day. Even, even if I'm just kind of being nice to him. Yeah, how you doing? Uh-uh. When that person got on the elevator, I backed up as far as I could. Stared at them like, don't you come across this elevator at me. And listen, if I got a mask on, I can look really mean. Why do you think people used to wear those to rob banks, okay? You see the eyes going, oh. And this person looked at me like the whole way up. And they're doing the same thing to me. And we're just kind of like, oh. Four or five years ago, it would have been a totally different experience. But to be honest with you, I know I'm not alone. Because just a few days later, I was traveling with the Anderson University men's basketball team and to their conference tournament, and, and we were staying in a hotel. And um, as we're in the, in the hotel, coming in, checking in, all these guys, these guys that I know, these guys that I've already talked to the athletic trainer, everybody's healthy, nobody's got COVID, everybody's, you know, no, no, no danger in this. And so we get, the elevator opens up, we pile into the elevator. And then we go up a floor, it stops, a person we don't know tries to step into the elevator, we shut the door on them. Just, no, you're not there. We don't know you. You can't come in here. See, what I'm telling you is the world is broken. And 36 months ago, it got broken even worse. And what I'm trying to explain to you and help us discover this morning is that when that woman came up on Jesus, it wasn't just some little esoteric moment of, oh, this is a lady who's hurting and she came up and she was healed by Jesus. No, no, this is you. This is me. This is the world we live in. As we talked last week, Jesus won't be distracted. Jesus knows where he's going. He understands, but he also understands when the broken people around him begin to get desperate enough to ask for help. Because you see, that's why I asked the question, how high is your pain tolerance? Because maybe you're like my son, who has a really high physical pain tolerance. We've learned that over the years. I think we've got a culture who's trying to mimic a pain tolerance that doesn't actually work because it's only hiding what is really broken. And we got people trying to act like they're fine. And worse than that, we've got some of them trying to put God talk and spiritual language on it. When the reality is we are all hemorrhaging in our souls. And some of us have been hemorrhaging for a long time. 12 years this woman had been hemorrhaging. Uh, Pastor Preston and I were talking about this text this week and we both found it extremely interesting that Jesus is on his way to hear, heal Jairus' 12-year-old daughter. This girl had been alive for 12 years. The woman who touched Jesus' garment had been sick for 12 years. We don't know if there's any real theological meaning to that except for this. For the entire lifetime of that young lady who Jesus was responding to, this lady, this lady had been broken. And what's going on in our world, what, what, what I'm talking to you about this morning is the, in, the, the, the opportunity for us as the people of God to say to folks who are in pain, to say to our own soul, to, to hear the God himself speak into us and offer us healing. Because here's what I know. Long-term brokenness isn't healed in a moment. Long-term brokenness doesn't change overnight. 
Long-term brokenness takes faith in Jesus Christ and it takes the presence of God in your life. See, long-term brokenness creates one of two things, either desperation or despair. Long-term brokenness creates either desperation or despair. You're like, well, Pastor, what's the difference between the two? Well, here's the deal. Despair means you have completely lost hope. Despair means you have no hope at all. For those of you who have wrestled with suicidal thoughts, please hear me this morning. Do not despair. You can be desperate. Because being desperate means that you are willing to risk something. Being desperate means you're willing to take some rash, extreme action in order to find hope. But total despair means you have come to the place where you have no hope at all. So you don't want to wake up the next morning. And I understand enough about human emotions, enough about our current situation to know that the rates of suicide among adolescent teenage girls have skyrocketed in the last few years. To know that the rates of suicide in people across every, every age group have increased. The impact of the pandemic is not being lessened by the lessening of COVID cases. The impact of a pandemic has ruptured our souls. And we've got people all around us who are in despair. And they've lost hope. And that's why this Easter we're trying to express to the world around us that you can discover hope in Jesus Christ. That's why the mission of this church, which for two decades has been to lift up Jesus Christ as Savior for the lost, as Lord of the world, as reconciler for those for the world, as Lord of the church, as reconciler for the world, so that people can discover hope for their living. That, that mission has not changed, and it doesn't need to change. There's, there's got to be hope in the world. But long-term brokenness, long-term brokenness drives us to either desperation or despair. And this morning, I'm here to advocate for dis- desperation. Because here's what desperation looks like. Look at the passage. As Jesus went to Jairus' house, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She tried everything humanly possible, but she didn't give up hope. She knew that everything she had tried had failed, and maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're in that place where everything you know to do, you've done. Every book to read, you've read. Every conversation to have, you've had. Every therapist to see, you've seen. Every change you know to make, you've made that change. And yet still there is something inside of you broken. And it's not a short-term brokenness. It's a long-term brokenness. Twelve years, this lady hemorrhaged. Twelve years, she had to... She had to live with the consequences that many, many of us don't even understand. Because you see, the, the backstory of having an issue of blood, as the King James called it, is that that made her unclean. 
that constant hemorrhage of blood from her body. Yes, it made her anemic. Yes, it made her weak. Yes, it made her unable to fulfill any of the responsibilities she had in life. But what it also made her in the Jewish faith was ceremonially unclean. What does that mean? It meant she couldn't go to synagogue. It meant she couldn't go to temple. It meant that that when she entered a group and she saw a conversation, just like a leper, she had to say, I'm unclean. She had to declare her brokenness to the community around her in a constant basis because that was the law. Because that was the religion. And so every day for 12 years, when she woke up, if anyone touched her, they became ceremonial unclean. You see, when we talk about someone encountering Jesus, and this being a story about touching the hem of his garment, we've got to understand just how much pain this lady was in and how much risk she had to take how much desperation she housed in her soul. Because for her to come in the midst of the crowd, yeah, we, we hear the crowd and we think, oh, I can hide in the crowd. That was cool. She, she hid in the crowd so she could get to Jesus and then just touch Jesus' garment. No, listen to me. In that crowd, there were people who knew her. In that crowd, there were people who had seen her before. For her to go into that crowd meant she had to cover her identity. It meant she had to, it meant she had to risk rejection in order to find wholeness. That's, that's why I think lifting up Jesus Christ as Savior for the lost, as Lord of the church, as reconciler for the world so that people can discover hope for their living is such an amazing thing for us to be doing in 2023. To say to people who are lost, you don't have to stay lost. To say to people who've been burned by the church and by humans in the church, hey, you know what? It's not their church. Years ago in my first congregation as a young pastor, young senior pastor, I invited the, the retired president of Anderson University, Dr. Bob Reardon, to come and speak at our congregation. And he spoke on a Friday night and had banquet on a Saturday, and Sunday morning, we're going to the church. And we got to the church, and sure enough, just like always, there was a dear brother named Bill Price who was first at church, beat me to the church building every Sunday morning as the young pastor. And so when Dr. Reardon and I got out of the car, I introduced him to Bill. I said, uh, Dr. Reardon, this is Bill Price. He lives in Catlett, Georgia. Our church was on the state line of Tennessee and Georgia. I said, he drives 30 minutes one way to get to my church. To which Brother Price said, no, I don't. I said, oh, it's more than 30 minutes? He said, no, it's 30 minutes. It's just not your church. He said, that sign right there? It says Church of God. I'm here to see him. I'm here to meet with him. I thought about that big. 
because I was trying to impress President Reardon, right? Dr. Reardon put his arm around me when Brother Price took his nor normal path into the sanctuary to designate his pew an hour before anybody else got there. And he whispered in my ear, don't ever forget that, Carrie. And I haven't. It's his church. But I'm telling you right now, we live in a world that's broken and needs reconciliation. We live in a world where people have been hurting so long. We live in a world where people like this woman have, have to choose despair or desperation. I choose desperation. And I hope you do too. Because in desperation, you're willing to risk being rejected. She had to risk somebody recognizing her, somebody saying to her, hey, look, you, you don't belong here. Why didn't you yell unclean? Now you contaminated me. Instead, instead, she reached out and she touched the hem, the fringe of Jesus' garment. And, and, and then everything changed. Everything changed. Look at the way Luke says. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of, of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when everybody denied it, Peter says to him, hey, master, look, the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me and I perceive that power has gone out from me. See, what, what Jesus understood that Peter didn't, <laughs> what Jesus understood that everybody else in the crowd didn't, was that when you are desperate enough to risk rejection, when you are desperate enough to, to take the risk of coming to Jesus and being honest with him and being open with him, when you're honest enough to realize you can't fix your brokenness, nobody else in the world can fix your brokenness, no amount of therapy can help your brokenness, only Jesus. Now, I'm not saying bad things about therapy. Please hear that. God uses good Christian therapists to help good Christian people and people who aren't Christians as well. But only when the people coming in recognize the need for their help. And right now, right now we're living in a world where there are people who need help and more people who need to recognize their need for help. And maybe you're one of them. Or maybe you're one of those people who's transferred over to despair. And if you are, let me remind you again, Jesus loves you. This I know. Because the Bible, it really does tell me so. He loves you. In all of your pain. In all of your brokenness. So when the Spirit of God begins to say to you, hey, I need you I need you to come clean with me. I need you to be open with me. I need you to be honest with me. Don't shut it down. Don't ignore it. Don't sit like a seven-year-old boy with a broken arm and go, I'm fine, I'm fine. No. Open your heart to 
take the risk. Reach out. Because Jesus is here and he has the power to help you. You see, there's one more part to this story that we often overlook because we get so excited that the hemorrhage stopped. Because when you get desperate enough to risk rejection in order to find wholeness, that wholeness that you find creates a transparency in your life and with your community. Years ago, uh, when I was pastoring in Daytona Beach, Florida, I got a call one day. I'd, I'd only been the pastor seven or eight months. Got a call one day from a, a lady named Rosalie. Rosalie was in her late 60s. She was an only child who had lived with her parents her entire life because Rosalie was born with some severe physical handicaps. Mentally, she was wonderful. But physically, her entire life, she struggled. And her mother and father loved her so immensely. They poured into her life. I never met her father. Her mother passed away shortly within a month, maybe even a few weeks after I became the pastor of her church. And so I remember getting the phone call from her and, and her asking me, could you come and bring Pastor Walter with you? Pastor Walter was a man on our staff who had been there for a few years. Everybody knew him and loved him. And so the two of us went over to her home. Her home was amazing. Her parents had loved her so much that they had actually configured the house. Her father physically built everything in the house so she had access to it. And if something was higher than what she could reach, he, he had made a little tool for us, for her to use. And, and so we sat in her living room and she began to say, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Walter, for coming. I, I, I want you to know that I love Jesus. I want you to know that the church has been so good to me. My entire life I've grown up at Whitechapel Church of God. My entire life they've cared for me and I've, I've cared for the children in the church and I've, I've done what I could do with my physical limitations. She said, but I, I just want you to know that since my mother's death, I've, I've been thinking and praying and, and, and I just want you to know that even though I've been in the church all these years and I've served in the church all these years, I don't know that I've ever really asked Jesus into my life. And so I ask you to come over here today so that, so that I could ask Jesus into my life because now I'm all alone and I need him to be here with me. And so we prayed with her. And, and after we prayed, she, she said, okay, pastor, I wanna be baptized. I'm like, you've never been baptized? No, never been baptized. I'm, I'm looking and I'm beginning to think how we're gonna manage to get her in that little frail, weakened body into the baptistry when she kind of rescued me for a moment. And she says, oh, but pastor, there's, <laughs> there, there's one thing I have to do before I can get baptized. You see, I've, I've hidden something from the church for years. 
Like you've hidden something from the church? What in the world? He says, Walter, would you, would you take this? And she had this little stick thing. She says, would you go over on that very, you know, over there, open that drawer? And so we opened the, the door. And she goes, behind those glasses, behind, behind those bowls, would you reach behind there? So Walter, he's like, I can't reach. She goes, here, take my stick. And so she, he takes her stick and he reaches back in there. that little bling to grab stuff. And he pulls out a bottle of homemade elderberry wine. And she, she says, yeah, that's it. Walter's like, okay. He brings it over. She goes, my mother and father loved me so much. They didn't want me to suffer. And so my father taught me how to make homemade elderberry wine so that nobody in the church would know what I was doing. And so every night, I take just a little snip of this wine to cut the pain. And so I can't, I can't hide from God anymore. So Walter, pour that out. Walter's like, okay. So he pours it down the sink. And I'm thinking, okay, she's come clean with the pastors. No, no, Rosalie wasn't happy with that. Two weeks later, when we got ready to baptize her, she, in her written testimony before the whole church, people who've known her her whole life, she says, I've hidden something for my entire adult life, and it's no longer time for me to hide anything from God. And I don't want to hide it from you either. And she tells this story about the elderberry. Now, Rosalie had intense pain. And there are things prescriptions or doctors would have given her to take care of that. And I'm not here to, to talk about the lack of sinfulness for a little lady with major problems physically to cut the pain with some homemade elderberry wine. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, in her heart, it was something she had hidden from God and his people. And for her, in order to be whole, she needed to not be hidden. You see, finding wholeness creates this transparency and this desire for community because notice what happened to the woman who touched Jesus. Jesus is asking everybody, who touched me? Who did this? Peter's saying, oh, come on, Lord, no, there's lots of people around here. The people are all going, no, not me. Everybody denies it. And look, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before Jesus, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched Jesus and how she had been immediately healed. And then Jesus said, daughter, son, your faith has made you well. Go in You see, when you get desperate enough in your brokenness 
to not just acknowledge your brokenness, but to risk rejection in order to find wholeness. To lay aside all the God talk and all the spiritual language and to come clean before God. There's a moment, one that Rosalie found and one that, one that this lady discovered. When you discover you can't be hidden anymore. You want to you know, you know what repentance is all about? Repentance is about not being hidden anymore. It's not comparing your sins to somebody else's sins. It, it, it's saying to God, God, look, I'm, I'm an open book right before you. Here are the things that I've been broken with. Here are the things I've broken. I need your, your power to heal me. I need your presence to love me. I need to, I just need to be made whole. And when you do that, just like Rosalie and just like this woman, you will discover peace. The day we baptized Rosalie was a high day in the life of that church when some men in the church had to pick her up because she couldn't walk up the stairs and hand her over the edge, this little, frail, deformed from norm body. And another man in the church and Walter and I, they handed her off to us And I looked at her and I said, Rosalie, are you ready? She said, oh, yeah. And when I pulled her back up out of that water, the smile on her face and the joy in her eyes, because her faith was no longer her parents. Her faith was in in her 60s. It was no longer something she put on to come to church. Her faith was hers. I can only imagine what this woman looked like who touched the hem of Jesus' garment when she showed up the next week in synagogue in her village. And she didn't have to walk in the door and say, I'm unclean. She just walked in and said, I'm his daughter and I am whole. For some of you, My prayer is that that will happen for you just as well. If you're on campus with us today, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Would you stand with me? In the Old Testament, we we hear about the Spirit of God singing over the children of Israel. And as we prepped for this week, and I was sharing with Sarah this this sermon and what God had placed in my heart. She she immediately said, hey, pastor, I know a song. (laughs) And many of you won't know this song. In fact, I'd say most of you won't know this song. So here's what I've asked. I've asked Sarah to sing it over you. And if you're with us online right now or later this week on demand, wherever you are, what I'm gonna ask you to do is, is to stop everything else that's going on around you 
I mean, if you're eating breakfast, just put the food aside for about three minutes, okay? You got a microwave. You can, you can heat it back up later, all right? What I'm going to ask you to do, wherever you are, is I'm going to ask you to listen. Listen to God's Spirit and what He wants to do in your life right now. If you want to come and pray in an altar, I'll be glad to do that with you. But when this song is over, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pray for you. So listen and hear God's Spirit using these words to make you whole again. Listen.
campus, would you bow your head and close your eyes? And if you're here with us today on campus and you're just kind of struggling with your own brokenness and you just need somebody to pray for you, I'd love to do that. Would you just slip your hand up and say, hey, pastor, I need you to pray for me. balcony, I see you. Okay. All right. Let's pray together. Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, you, uh, you sent Jesus Christ here to make us whole. And yet, the world seems to beat us up, break us up so much. And inside of us, inside of us there's this sense that, that there should be more. There should be more to this life than what we've found. And Lord, for some of these who've raised their hand, that more is a, is a relationship with you. They've never crossed the line of faith. They, today, as we've been talking, they're realizing that everything they've, they've put their faith in can't be trusted, but you can be. So right now, for those in the room and, and those online who, who need to be able to cross that line of faith and take that risk of rejection in order to find wholeness, thank you for the courage of these that have raised their hands. Lord, for these that have raised their hands and, and they have a relationship with you. They bowed a knee years ago and they crossed the line of faith, but, but their life journey has, has made them so tired. The, the, their experience has so wounded them. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would begin to heal them. Just as, as you spoke to 
this woman called her your daughter and told her that she would live in peace because of her faith in you. I pray for your peace and your wholeness and your healing in the lives of those who have been broken. Lord, I also pray for some of these who've raised their hands, who've realized that they've been the ones breaking other people. And I pray for your forgiveness. I thank you for their willingness to talk to you that way. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening our eyes. Help us to live in a transparency and a, and a community with you where we can trust you for everything we are. God, thank you for loving us and let us return that love every day of our life. For it's in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray.